0: We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 33, and I'm going to read verse 26. And these are books, Deuteronomy and Exodus, Numbers and Job, that we're going to read. These are books that Moses wrote. And of all the people that have lived on earth before, I think we would all agree there was probably nobody that ever had, uh, well, there were others that had as much and maybe more in some cases, but Moses had such an extremely intimate relationship with God. He spoke with God face to face and he understood God. He even saw God. He saw the back parts of God and Moses was so moved by the Lord. And one of the things that Moses brings out in this book in verse 26, he says, there is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. And that's, that's a name for Israel. All right, that's a name for Israel as a prince. Israel committed to God. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rides upon the heaven in your help and in his excellency on the sky. And and, and the picture that Moses is painting for us is this. If you could imagine this, that here's here's God and he's running through the heavens. He's running through the sky to come help you. I mean, to, to think about that, I mean, we, we oftentimes try to, or picture God as this reluctant God because we're so unworthy. And I love that this is Israel that we're talking about because Israel is so unworthy. Israel is so unfaithful in, in practically every aspect of her relationship with God. But nonetheless, Israel is in covenant with God. And because of this covenant that Israel is in with God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob— Here's the commitment of God that I'm going to run through the heavens to help you. When you're in trouble, I'm running to you. I'm there. Now, we understand that God is omnipresent, so he doesn't even have to run to get to me. He's just there. God is just right there, but he's there to help me. And the picture is this God who has a limitless range. He runs through the heavens. There's nothing hindering him from getting to you quickly. And he's running. He's not walking. He's not sitting there like, no, you didn't fast enough. You didn't twist my arm enough. I watch you. You didn't give enough money today in the offering. I'm not going to help you today. But, But he's the God of help, and he's excellent in this. And then he says in verse 27, the eternal God. That gives me great hope because God's not going to be replaced. He's not going to be replaced with another God. And maybe that God's going to be bad. But this God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And the God who helps people is the God who is always there for me. He's eternal. And this means that He's my refuge. I always have a place to run to. That's why I really pity people who pick on Christians. Because they don't know who they're messing with. They don't know that they're really messing with the sons and the daughters of God. We're the apple of God's eye. And I mean... God is our refuge. And so you begin to mess with a Christian. Be careful about gossip. Be careful about slander. Be careful about tearing somebody down. Be careful about slandering somebody's character. Even if you think that you have a right. Because those people have a refuge in an eternal God who comes to their help quickly. And and there's few things that God hates more than gossip and slander and things of that nature. And so God is our refuge. And underneath, underneath you are the everlasting arms. And I love that because, number one, he is the eternal God who never changes. He is my refuge. And underneath me are the eternal arms. That means he never gets tired. I get tired of me. Y'all don't tell them. I get tired of us. I get too tired to carry I get too tired to pray. I can't take it anymore. I just need a break in destiny. I just need a rest. I, I just need to get away where the phone doesn't ring and I don't think about nothing. I, but, you know, I get, but not God. God's like, I am holding you and my arms are everlasting. You know? So, so you can do this right now. Take your Bibles, if you have a real one and not a phone. Take your Bibles and just hold it out while I'm talking. And just do it. Just take your Bibles, hold it out. And, and, and just, just keep it there. Don't take it down. Don't let it go. All right. And you just do that until I'm through preaching. Just do that. Try, Really do it. I mean, I want you to do it. Do that. Don't stop. And what you're going to do is you're going to feel the pressure. You're going to feel the weight of life. You're going to feel gravity pulling upon that Bible. And there's just going to come a point where you can't do it anymore. You just can't. It's going to, you're, you're going to get tired. God doesn't get tired. His strength does not get tired. His power does not wait, wax old. God is everlasting to everlasting. His strength never fails. And the God who is your refuge, who is eternal, is the God who is holding you in his arms. And they are everlasting. And God is the one who upholds you. You would be destroyed. Satan would have killed you if he could have. But the everlasting God who holds you up is the one who sustains you. And at any given time, you can look up to God and say, are you getting tired of me? And God would say, no, I'm not. My arms are everlasting. My power is everlasting. I, I never get tired. I never need to be renewed. I am a constant source of strength and power and wisdom and presence. That's my God. That is my God. And my God helps me. And he runs to me. And he helps. Because, I mean, if God is helping Israel, who is in covenant with him through Abraham, how much more does God help me, who's in covenant with him through Jesus Christ? And I am his son. And God is my God. And so he says, listen, he will thrust out the enemy from before you. And shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. God will be our provision. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like unto you? O people saved by the Lord. Man, if they were saved by the Lord, I'm certainly saved by the Lord. A lot of these guys were saved by the Lord, but would still end up departing from God and going to hell. But I'm saved, saved, saved by the Lord. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm redeemed from my sins. I have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus is my holiness and my glory. I am really, really, really saved. Oh, he is my God. And so how happy should I be? And I am. I mean, I'm really happy that God is my God and He is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior. And so God is this. I'm a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help, and who is the sword of your excellency? That is God. God fights for me. He shields me. He fights with the sword, and, and then the enemies, thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and you shall tread upon their high places. And I think about that with Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren. Yes, that's what the Bible says. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So when you start accusing Christians, Just remember who's operating through you. And it's not the Holy Ghost. Alright? It's not the Holy Ghost. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And I thank God that when Satan goes up there to accuse me of my sins. in this new covenant that I have with God through Jesus Christ. My sins have been washed away. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west. They're covered in the blood of the lamb. God said in Hebrews chapter 8. I will never remember them again. So Satan goes up before God. He accuses me, what does God do? He says, your enemies shall be found liars because God will allow the scroll to be rolled out of Lee's life and say to Satan, I find no record of any wrongdoing. You are a liar and the father of lies away. Get out of here because Jesus Christ is my high priest and my justification. And I just thank the Lord for God's vigilance to care for us because if God didn't care for us, we wouldn't make it. And the reason we're making it and the reason we're surviving is because God is with us. And I want to go to the book of Job, chapter 6. And I know what some of us are thinking here. You know, hey, that's a nice little sermonette. I really, that, that's really good, but it's just not the experience of my life. Um, I've encountered problems and I've encountered hostilities and I've faced trials in life where I did cry to God and he didn't come to me. And I just would sit, maybe you would say, I would sit here this morning and say, Pastor, all that sounds really good. Maybe preach is really good, but it's not my experience or my testimony. And we were wondering, where is God? Why hasn't God come to me and helped me? I've been in altars, I've been in church, I've been crying out to God and praying and there's a, there's a verse here in, in Job 6, and I wanted to share this with you because when we walk as the church with hurting people, that we're going to experience things. There, there's going to be situations where, where people are hurting and people are struggling and people are going through some confusing times in their life, and they don't know what God's doing. Job did not know what was going on. In his life. He, he, he was not there when Satan and God were talking about him. And when Satan was challenging Job's faith. Job didn't know any of this. You know. And so there might be things that we go through in life. We don't understand what's happening. And there's a contest taking place. And it says this in verse 26. Do you imagine to reprove words. And the speeches of one that is desperate. Which are as wind. And, and I bring that to your attention because I understand that every one of us who are trusting in God have questions in our life when we're wondering, I trusted him, but he wasn't there. I called out to him, but I didn't hear an answer. I waited upon God to deliver me, but it seems as though the enemy got the upper hand on me. I trusted, I prayed, like I've heard people say in church, in the name of Jesus, and whatever I ask in the name of Jesus, it will be done for me. But it wasn't done for me. God didn't do what I asked him to do. And a lot of times through that crushing and through that pain that we go through, we might even say things that come out of our mouth. And I want to explain this to you because as a Christian, and every one of you are ministers, and you're going to minister to hurting people, And there may be times sometimes when somebody might say something out of their mouth because they're desperate and they're hurting. And sometimes there are words that are just for the wind. And in other words, what that means is let the wind take it away. You don't have to deal with every word that somebody says. Because sometimes in a person's desperation, take for example a woman giving birth. There might be a lot of things she says. All right. Just don't hold her accountable with that the next day. All right. It was just a desperate time of getting this baby out and living. And so, you you know, you just have moments like that. And, And so there are things that we say and things that we express in our life because of the pain and the grief that we would not otherwise say. Sometimes the pain that we are going through and the reality that we think is real. We paint life with darker strokes than they actually are. And maybe in the morning we're going to be a lot better. We're going to be a lot more sane, a lot more spiritual. Our bearings are going to be there. So it's not for us to destroy a person because they're speaking. I mean, if people are speaking, that's what you want. And let them be able to speak. But be careful when we do that we don't condemn God in our speech. And we don't accuse God of something evil. We might ask why. The psalmist asked why. The psalmist cried out to God and says, have you forgotten to be compassionate? Imagine if you were praying with some Christians today who were to begin to pray like that. God, you've forgotten about me. Don't you care about me? God, why why aren't you compassionate for me? And now you know better than that. You know, well, the psalmist prayed that way. These were honest prayers of desperation. And people have to be able to express that to God. And so I want to talk to you for a moment about the tenderness of God. In these times of our life where we really need help. I need a God who rides through the heavens to get to me quickly. I need a God who will be my refuge. I need a God who will fight for me. Anybody in here need a God like that? I need that God in my life. Your family's under attack. Your children are struggling with things. We need this real God. So I want to go to Psalm 118. And we're going to go back to Deuteronomy. But um, in Psalm 118, I wanted to share just a few examples from this Psalm of David. And this is, this is a beautiful Psalm. I'm going to begin in verse one, and I I want you to see this. And and if you will, will you, will you let this stand out to you when we read it? Because we've been talking about this for a few weeks. His mercy endures forever. That is a constant theme in the Bible. And I remind you when Jehoshaphat went out to war, and they sent the singers out in front. And when they began to sing and to pray, saying that his mercy endures forever, that God broke out against their enemies. I would pray in whatever situation you're in, please listen to me. Even if you're speaking words that are far the wind, because you're hurting so badly, there's just some painful words coming out of your mouth. I would pray with all of my heart that you would get your bearings to be able to say, in the midst of all of that pain, still be able to say that your mercy endures forever. And this God will ride upon the heavens to help you. He will not be short on his mercy. And so the Bible says in Psalm one eighteen, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, we're not. Because his mercy endures forever. Isn't it wonderful that this psalmist said the one thing that we as people need is mercy. Thank God for that. Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever. Why don't you say that right now? His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And set me in a large place. Okay, wait a minute. Stop. Stop. Stop reading. Look at me. When did he call upon the Lord? In his distress. So that means even if you are intimate with God and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that God is going to prevent distress But it does mean that even in the distress, when you call upon the Lord, he will come and answer you and he will help you. And he helped David and he set him in a large place. And he said this, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, he certainly knew what men could do to him. I mean, David was a soldier and a fighter and a general. He knew torture and death and fighting. He knew all of that. But it's it's kind of like what Jesus said. Don't fear men. The best they can do is kill the body. But God can destroy the soul and the body in hell. So don't be afraid of man. Don't let man intimidate you. Believe in the mercy of God. And so he says this in, in verse 7. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But verses 7 through 13. And you can just glance through that. Verses 7 through 13 talk about problems. They talk about trials and tribulations in life. And, and these are not small problems. Because they're talking about problems like a nation has surrounded me. You know, maybe you got a couple of people at work that are harassing you. A nation was surrounding, and and not only that, he said, they're like bees. Have you ever been swarmed by bees? You're swatting and swatting and hardly ever hit one. Kind of hope that you don't hit one, that they don't all get stirred up at you. And, And he said, this is what they're like. These nations are just swarming me. This is a really difficult time in my life. It's not easy for David. I believe that we as Christians have got to be prepared for some hard things. I think we have to be stronger than we are. I think we have to have a greater faith in God than we do. I think we have to be rooted in the word of God and we have to be confident in Jesus Christ. Because perhaps we as the church of Jesus Christ now and in the near future may be called to suffer and face things that we never thought we would as Americans. But we might have to. And I pray to God in those moments we would not fear man. That we would not fear or regard those that have the ability to kill my body. But I would give respect and faith and confidence in the God who can save my soul. That we would be stronger. That we would not collapse because somebody disapproved of us. Or somebody denied the faith. Or somebody didn't want to hear our gospel. And our, our whole life falls apart because of that. Or even if we have been in distress and we have been found wanting. That we would take refuge to our eternal God. Who holds us up with his everlasting arms. Even as sinners. And he gives us hope and strength in him. God only knows what we will face. But all of these problems came to David. He didn't rejoice in God. And celebrate God's mercy. Because he never had problems. He celebrated the mercy of God. Because he himself knew of all people. I am very unworthy of your goodness to my life. So I appeal to your mercy. When these nations come against me and my enemies boast against me and they swarm like bees in my life the Lord will help me. That's what he knew. That's what you have to know. The Lord will help me. God is coming to your help. You may say where is he? He's coming. And for most of us he I mean we know he's already always here, but it's the eyes of faith to see him. We're so conditioned by our feelings that we can't recognize the presence of God that is there to help us. Today, God has been here to help you. In reality, and many people received that help because they believed his mercy endured forever. And they reached out to him and they touched, if you will, the hem of his garment. Power from God went into their life. People were helped today, but he wants to help every one of us. And then, as I just conclude this in verse 14, the Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. I love that he's become my salvation because I was in a time of distress. And what he's telling us is this that God really does save. I wasn't saved when I was in the distress. I wasn't saved when the nation surrounded me and I was swarmed like beasts. I wasn't saved then. I was crying then. But he came and became my salvation. This isn't salvation from hell. This is salvation from the paradoxes of life. He became my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Because if you, at the end of the day, are going to declare the works of the Lord, it must be a declaration of salvation. If you die, you cannot declare his works. That's why the psalmist says, I will live and not die. Because I am not at the place of the victory that God intends for my life. So I will not lay down and die in the moment of my confusion. When everything in me and everyone around me tells me that I should die, I'm not going to. Because I know that my God is my refuge and my strength and my support. And he's coming to help me. And so I'm going to live. I'm not going to die. And I'm going to declare the works of God. Many people believe David wrote this. When he had come back with his mighty men to the city of Ziklag. And it had been burned. And an invading country had come in. And taken all of their wives and their children as captives to their homes. And all of these mighty men could only imagine... That their wives and their children were being raped and abused by these savage invaders. And they all blamed David. And these are killers. And they were picking up stones to kill David. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. These men meant to kill him. If you lost your wife and your children. Every instinct in you. Would be retaliation. And they were able to do it. But the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And many scholars believe this is when Psalm 18 was birthed in David. The Lord's mercies endure forever. He knew there was mercy upon their families. He knew God would get his families back, but they weren't back yet. He knew God had become his salvation. But he also knew, I'm going to live and not die. These men are not going to kill me. They cannot kill me because I have to declare the works of the Lord. And I cannot do it from the grave. So they're not going to kill me. And David turned them around to go back and get their wives and children and bring them home. And the end was glorious. But they all could have murdered David and died that day. But David turned them around. And where is it that you are willing to give up and die? What is it that you've experienced that says to you, your life is over? Oh, you're going to be a Christian because you don't want to go to hell when you die and you want to go to heaven. But basically life is over for you. Your excitement to serve Jesus, your aspirations for ministry are, seem to be waning in your life because people. <clears throat> or will you believe for the salvation of the Lord? That my life is going to declare the works of God. And so this mercy is beautiful. And I want to remind you that mercy is when the person from whom I have no. I, the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing. Gives me everything. I have the right to expect nothing. But he gives me everything. Everything. Zephaniah says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. And Psalm 86 says, For great is the mercy towards me. You have delivered my soul from the lowest hell. I'm so glad the psalmist wrote that in Psalm 86. You delivered my soul from the lowest hell. So you might sit here today and say, I'm in a very low place. You're not lower than the psalmist was. He said, I am the lowest hell hell and God delivered me. That means that wherever you are, God is a professional of getting people out of the lowest hell and he can get you out of wherever you are. So I want to go back to Deuteronomy and I want to go to chapter 10. Again, Moses writes this about God and I want you to see the heart of God in this. We've we've seen that God is the one who comes to our help, that God is merciful to us, that God is eternal, that God is our refuge, that God upholds us with everlasting arms. But listen to this in verse 17. For the Lord, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons. He doesn't show favoritism. He regardeth not persons, nor takes bribes. He doeth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, in giving him food and raiment. I I want, listen to this, verse 18, just for a second, stay there with me. God executes judgment or gives justice to the fatherless, the widow, and and he loves the stranger. Listen to this. I want to, just very quickly. Please stay with me. I want you to see God's heart. Imagine the trauma. That a person has to undergo. In their life. To become an orphan. Imagine the emotional devastation. Of, of, of the sense and the feeling. I have no family. And I'm unwanted. Whatever that child went through to get to the place where they're now orphaned had to be a series of events that brought trauma into their life. Or a widow. Think about that. A widow. What is a widow? Her husband died. She was left alone. No children. Imagine the devastation of that woman. Imagine the pain. The confusion. Imagine how many nights while she was watching her husband die. That she would cry out to God and say, "God, if you take him, I have nobody." But God let it happen. And we and, and in those moments of life, we wonder, "Where is this God of love? Where is this God who rides upon the heavens to help us? Where is He?" And then the stranger, He loves the stranger, and that word "stranger" is the alien person without a home. There's a lot going on in our politics about. The aliens and the immigration and all of that. And I don't want us to be political as a church, but I pray to God with all of my heart. And I, and, and I mean this in this sense. I believe we need to have secure borders, I believe we need to have a protected society. But I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is extending the gospel to all men. And I'm not necessarily careful. As to who I share the gospel with, if they look like me or they're from my same social standing, I don't care. Because every man is created in the image of God and has a right to the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and God loves the stranger. The stranger is the person without a country, the person without a home. It might be easy to drive around the roads and, and point our fingers at the homeless. But the Bible says God loves them. We need to love them too. What a heart. What a heart of God. These are the, these, this group of people are some of the most wounded people on our planet. Orphans and widows and strangers. And he loves them. And he tells us to love the stranger. You are strangers in a land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord, your God, him shall you serve and to him shall you cleave and swear by his name. I've I, I, if if you will pardon me, I'm just gonna give you these scriptures. I don't have time to turn to them and read them with you, but would you write this down? <clears throat> this is in Exodus thirty four five through nine. Exodus thirty four five through nine and Numbers fourteen verses eighteen through twenty one. One more time I'll share them with you exodus thirty four five through nine numbers fourteen eighteen through twenty one just listen to me really quick as I describe this to you because this is the this is the moment in in exodus thirty four where where Moses is uh, coming down from the the mountain with the tab the, the Ten commandments and they're worshipping the calf and Moses breaks the ten commandments. He goes back up into the mountain with God and God says to Moses, I'm not going with you because the people are stiff necked and they are rebellious and I will probably kill them in the way. And so Moses says to God, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. We're not going to go. We cannot go without your presence. And then Moses says to God that, listen, if I have found favor in your sight, if I found grace with you, show me your way. Show me your glory. If you know, God, if you know who I am, then tell me who you are. And so God says to Moses, I'll do it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And he said, you see, Moses, beside me, there's a rock. We know that's Christ, right? Beside me, there's a rock. And in the morning, I'm going to put you in this cave of this rock, and I'm going to put my hand over it. And when I pass by, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to declare to you my name. My name is who I am. I'm going to declare my name to you while you're in the rock and I'm covering you. And then I'm going to walk past you. And when I walk past you, Moses, I'm going to remove my hand and you can look at my back parts. Wow. Could you imagine that kind of encounter? And so Moses is there the next day. He gets into the cave of the rock. God conceals the rock. And God walks by. You can hear God walking by. The presence of God is so glorious. And God begins to speak while Moses is in the cave of that rock. And God begins to declare to Moses who he is. And he says, the Lord. The Lord God. Elohim. Sovereign, self-existent, answerable to no one. Needing nothing from anything that I've ever created. Glorious in power and might, absolutely holy and sovereign. The Lord, the Lord God. Merciful. And I could only imagine in that moment, here's this. This being, uncreated, glorious, in power, and might, and holiness. And one of the first things God says about himself to Moses is merciful. And I can only imagine Moses in that rock just like, yes. I knew it. Gracious. Forgiving. Pardoning iniquity. And Moses could only be getting more excited about this God. But a God who does judge. And a God who is righteous. But a God who is merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving. And so God expresses himself to Moses. Moses takes this. This very description of God. Moses takes it. And when the 12 spies come back from the promised land and give the evil report. And God is infuriated with Israel and he's ready to destroy them and he says to Moses you leave me alone Moses and let me destroy Israel and I will make a nation with you do you know what Moses did I know who you are I didn't hear about you from some preacher I went into your presence myself. I heard you declare to me. I have the revelation of who you are. And Moses went before God when God wanted to destroy the nation. And Moses said, you are the Lord. You are the Lord God. You are merciful and forgiving and gracious. Come with us. He took God's own description of himself and went back to God with it. And now held God, if you will, respectfully, held God accountable because God said to Moses, this is who I am. This is how I want to be treated. This is how I want you to approach me. I am a God of mercy. Yes, I'm just and I'm holy and I will judge, but I will give mercy if you ask me. And Moses interceded on behalf of God's revelation to him. And here's the issue, beloved, and I want you to see this. How many things in your life did you let die because you leaned onto your own understanding when God never said it was over? God never told you to bury it. God never told you to give up. He was coming to help you. It ended without a testimony. It ended without the work of God. And everything that God has for your life, everything in it, even if in the answer of God, it's not exactly what you wanted, it will be better than what you wanted. And God comes through and God gives you the answer. But how many times did we stop? How many times did we take our life out of context? Because there was some point in my life when I went through a really difficult season in my life for these few years of my life. And in those few years, I totally defined God and I totally defined what love is and what good is. And now I have butchered my understanding of God. I can't take my life out of context because I'm immortal. And God's got this incredible identity that he's given me through Jesus Christ and the plans that he has for my life. So I'm not going to take this momentary confusion and define God. No, God is my refuge. God is my help. God is my strength. God is the one who fights for me. I will live and I will not die. I will declare the works of God. I will do that. And that's the testimony of God. And I, did Clay not do that. Did he not live and not die long enough to be able to declare at his own funeral through a video, I'm going to die and go to heaven to be with Jesus. God gave him the faith to die well. And he died well. And at his funeral, he told everybody how much he loved Jesus and walked with Jesus and stepped into heaven with Jesus Christ. He testified of the works of God. Maybe so many would have wanted him to be healed of that brain tumor and not die and live longer and longer and longer. But this was God's plan and Clay knew it. And he embraced it as from God. And he gave the testimony of it. And oh, how glorious and beautiful it is. How wonderful it is that there's an eternal God who says to men and women who are not worthy, come to me because I'm merciful. And I'll help you. I will really help you. I will not tell you no. I will not turn my back on you. Where in any instance in this whole book did God turn his back on somebody and say no? He's even washing Judas's feet, loving him to the very end. And will God not help you? Yes, he will help you. Your God is good. Your God is merciful. Your God is mighty. Your God is great. Your God is powerful. Lean not unto your own understanding. But in all of your ways. Acknowledge him. And God shall establish your paths. Your steps are ordered of the Lord. You haven't taken the last one yet. Yes the place you're standing in is difficult. Yes it's dark. But God is your help. You haven't taken the last step yet. God hasn't given the last word yet. The devastation. That life brings, God knows all too well. But He is also the one and the only one who not only knows how to comfort you in that devastation, He's the one who knows how to redeem it. When you thought all was lost, He redeems it. Let Him redeem it for you. I want you to stand with me. My heart's desire. This morning. Is that you would let God help you. That you would acknowledge the fact that you need help. You know in Psalm 118. What did he do? He cried. Cried to the Lord. For God to come and help him. And maybe you've said things. And you've said words that are for the wind. But at the end of the day. Beloved you need to declare that your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. You're a God of mercy. And I'm going to live and I'm not going to die. And for some of you, that was a word for you today. That was a word for you today. You're going to live and not die. And there's something worse than physical death while you're still here in this world, and it's living a life that you just wish you would die from. You just don't want to live. You don't want to be here anymore. The Apostle Paul, he said to live is Christ. But maybe for some of us here this morning, to live is not Christ. I I just, I want out. I want out. You checked out. God understands it's a hard time. It's a desperate moment. Your afflictions are more than you can bear. God knows it. His mercy endures forever. He will give you what you don't deserve which is good he'll give you everything just acknowledge it quit trying to be so tough quit trying to be so powerful quit trying to convince yourself that you got it because you don't have it you're falling apart fall apart at the feet of God let the everlasting arms hold you up let God be your strength Maybe you've been speaking things that are words that come out of your pain. But if you're not careful, those words that come out of your pain will direct your life. Maybe now you just need to come and linger before God. Just approach Him. Approach Him and linger before God and just whisper to the Lord, I need your help need your help Lord you are my God I've got nowhere else to go you're my help you haven't failed me because I have trials you told me I would have trials but you are my God and my refuge in the midst of my confusion maybe there's somebody here this morning that's just saying I'm not strong enough I don't have the strength to go on. I need the tenderness of God. How many of you need the tenderness of God today? David said that his gentleness made me great. You need the gentleness of God over your life. You just need a God who'll pick you up, who'll hold you, who'll be a shield for you and fight for you. You just don't have the strength. Just come and linger before him. Come and lay yourself at his feet. Draw near to the Lord. These altars are open. We're going to worship God. Maybe you're lost and you have no relationship with God. You have have no assurance because you have no relationship with God. But the Lord loves you. And the Lord sees you. And the Lord would love to make you his own. You wouldn't have to be orphaned as though nobody cared for you or nobody noticed you or nobody saw you. God sees you and you are precious in his sight and God wants you to live. And right there where you are, you can just surrender to God and say, I want a place to belong. And I want that place to be Jesus. I want to belong with Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. What I have been following and pursuing in my life has just left me empty. There have been times of joy in it. There have been some times of pleasure in it, but it's not lasting, and I'm tired of it. I want I want you, Jesus. I, I want to belong to you. I want a place to belong. The people who will love me for who I am. I can believe to become what you want me to be by your power and your grace. Oh, beloved, take refuge in God. For he's here for you. And not to condemn you, he's here for you.